Welcome to Powered by Magic, where we discuss topics surrounding magic and common or not so common questions. Let's take or not take this journey together. <laughs> Hi, I'm Tatiana. And I'm Sylvia. And we are coming to you, I think, from Eugene, Oregon. We invite you to conjure up a broom and ride with us. <laughs> I want to have fun today, guys. <laughs> okay, so, Sylvia, how are you doing? Pretty good. Uh, just watched Encanto with my brother and his boyfriend, and it was pretty good. I really enjoyed it. It was cute. I mean, it wasn't, like, absolutely fantastic great, in my opinion, but it was fun, and it's worth a watch. What was it about? It's about this family who has magical powers, except for the main character, who seems to have been passed over for those by those powers and so she's got a little bit of a inferiority complex i guess as well as everybody else just kind of looks down on her a little bit it's how the family comes back together through some trials and tribulations and brings back they lose their magic and they bring back the magic again oh cool yeah sounds great uh, how was your week? Oh, pretty good. I've started watching Doctor Who because my kids watch it. My kids are um, in their 20s. Almost, no, they're going in their 30s now. Holy oh, crap. Wow. Anyway, <laughs> and so they watch it and I thought, you know, I want to find out what they're watching. And mm-hmm. So I'm watching it and took a little bit to get into, but <laughs> I actually am enjoying it. It's kind of funny to see how cinematography has shifted and gotten so much better and then you're watching this old stuff and it's like I don't know it's just hard to watch sometimes <laughs> it's like oh that's so cheesy you know it's like watching Buffy the vampire, vampire slayer, slayer yeah. yeah you see the monsters and you're like oh come on really and it's kind of <laughs> like that but it's cool it's fun and well Doctor Who's supposed to be kind of cheesy I guess so yeah yeah um, I'm Doctor Who's a lot of fun. It is. It is a lot of fun. And I can't remember the name of the actor, but I think I'm going into season two. Oh, the newer actor? Um, the one you just watched was uh, Christopher Eccleston. Yeah, so it's the one after that. And I he's famous right now. I mean, he's totally known. <sighs> and I cannot think of... I can't think of. I will probably think about it tomorrow when I have no, no way of actually rectifying that. Yeah. <laughs> okay you said it this time i know okay oh she has a six-year-old in her that right before we started recording decided to you know pop out Mm -hmm. so you can explain the problem (laughs) (laughs) oh is that how you're gonna do it Uh uh uh-huh okay okay rectify your mistake or attitude oh well uh, no um she said rectify because she was trying to fix her glasses to make them work and i'm giggling over here because my brain went rectal <laughs> okay we're tired we've already done a recording today and this is our second one and their second one of one that we already thought we recorded yep Instead, we had the gremlins, digital gremlins showed up and ate it. It was gone. Completely gone. It was not something we did. I think it had to do with the program. It might be. I don't know. But whatever happened, Tatiana opened it up and it was gone. Yep. Nothing recorded. I think it was 10 minutes maybe of blank. So me, who has to edit, 
was panicked. Well, maybe not panicked, but definitely like, what the hell? Mm-hmm. Here we are re-recording and you get to listen to us babble now. <laughs> yep. Yep. And we've also had a drink. Yep. We needed to just loosen up after that first round. Yeah. Please forgive us our mishaps within this and, mm-hmm. and anything else you would like to forgive us for. <laughs> also, I have to tell on her, she's using a cat bed for a pillow. Oh, you a little rat. <laughs> that is so not cool. She she says it's it's too hard to get up out of her chair to get a pillow. So it's like, <laughs> so she reached down and grabbed the cat bed. <laughs> it was what was handy. The cats aren't using it. They haven't Fair used enough. it in a while, and it's actually perfect. I've got nice support behind me now, so you just forget about giving me shit, and <laughs> <laughs> it works. All right, all right. Okay, we'll see how much I stumble, and then we'll tell you whether or not it actually worked. Okay. Because apparently this is supposed to help me. Mm. All right, all right, we should get started. Yep. This week's episode is Runes and Scrying. Now we have the superstition. Ooh, the superstition. It's about reflection, importance of the mirror, and breaking a mirror. It's important to have an understanding of the background. A reflection on a surface was a gateway to the soul. Mirrors show the reflection of the soul and therefore are very powerful tools. The idea of not having a reflection, such as a vampire, revealed the shadow soul and the truth of the soul. So part of that is that the mirrors used to be backed by silver and silver was supposed to be like a purifying thing and it wouldn't show evil that's why the vampires wouldn't show up in it Ooh, okay thanks for that yeah in china mirrors were worn to ward off evil spirits and for that reason were considered to be good elsewhere they potentially brought love and prosperity a couple who first sees one another in a mirror were thought to be destined to have a long and happy relationship In Judaism, when a person passes, the mirrors of the dwelling are covered in order that the dead person's spirit doesn't get trapped in one, thus not being able to reach the afterlife. Other traditions bury their dead with a mirror to stop the spirit from rising again. Guess who should have done that with vampires? (laughs) All right, a little bit of history here. A broken mirror. There are some findings that can date an aspect of the lore back to as far as 6,000 years ago to Anatolia, where the first mirrors, highly polished obsidian, were discovered. Here the Turkish believed they saw their souls were looking back at them through the reflection. A person's reflection was sacred. Both Greek and Roman cultures have similar beliefs about images that were reflections of oneself. The Greek believed a reflection displayed their soul when gazing into a pool of water. Romans manifested mirrors in the form of polished metal surfaces and believed the gods could see their souls through it. At that time, the damaging of a reflective surface was considered to be disrespectful and would bring bad luck upon the person who had done it. It is possible that this is where the beginning of the seven-year superstition about a broken mirror bringing bad luck, which goes back about 2,000 to 2,700 years ago. Mirrors at that time were made of polished metal surfaces, but by the third century, mirrors were being made of glass and mishaps happened more frequently. If one were to incur the ill fortune of damaging a mirror, they would not be doomed for eternity with bad luck. 
The Romans believed that the soul renewed itself every seven years, including any broken parts of a person's life, and thus would reset the person's bad luck after the seven years had passed. Interesting. I thought so. Another way the superstition goes is that the gods would be angered by the breaking of a mirror since mirrors were the devices of the gods. It goes that whoever was last reflected in the mirror while it broke would be tormented by the gods and suffer great misfortunes. Ooh. Yeah, so not necessarily the person who broke it, but the person who was last seen in it. Mm-hmm. One more belief is that the breaking of a mirror fractures your soul, like the pieces of the mirror that had been reflected in it. Now the soul has no way to defend itself, so the soul looks for revenge on the person who broke it. In what way is unclear, it varies from superstition to superstition. Hmm. Here are some ways to undo the curse. First one is throw salt over your left shoulder as soon as possible. Take a salt bath, a couple of tablespoons would suffice or place salt under each windowsill in each corner of every room in order to ward off evil spirits. Hmm. Seems a bit excessive. Just a little. Two, immediately spin three times in a circle counterclockwise. This is done to confuse the gods. Only do this if you have broken a mirror, though. That just seems like it would confuse you and get you dizzy. (laughs) Right? Three, grind the mirror into a powder, but take safety precautions. Doing this makes it impossible for the gods to see you or for you to be the last person seen in the broken mirror. Because some traditions believe it is the last person, as I said earlier, uh, who gets the bad luck, not necessarily the person who broke it. Four, throw the broken mirror bits into a south running stream or river so you only have seven hours of bad luck, not seven years. The water will wash the misfortune away. Some claim that in a pinch, a running faucet with the water flowing over the shards will have the same effect. I'm sorry, cheater, cheater. That's what I'm calling that. I don't think that works the same way. Five, use flame to blacken the mirror and then bury them exactly a year later. Apparently you will have a year's bad luck, but that's less than seven. Okay. Touch a shard to a tombstone, and the curse will be written immediately. Either keep the shard or bury it, but don't throw it away. Don't know why that is, but that's what it said. Huh. Seven, under the full moon, let a piece be reflected in its light, and then when you look into that piece, your luck will be eased. Eight, bury the mirror deep in the soil at night. You are less likely to be reflected in the mirror when it's done at night, and once buried, your reflection can no longer be seen, of course, and then ill-intended spirits can't find you. So that concludes the superstition about broken mirrors. And we're going to move on to the god goddess. Today we have Odin, the Norse god and chief of the Aesir. He is an old man with a long beard, missing an eye, often with a spear or disguised with a cloak and broad hat, also often accompanied by his familiars, either two ravens or two wolves, or both. Duties, he's the ruler of the Aesir. Lineage, son of Bestla and Bor, brother of Vili and Ve, had many sons, but most notable were Thor and Balder. Stories. Odin hung on the world tree Yggdrasil, speared by his own hand. 
and gave himself to himself as an offering. Nine days and nights he went without food or drink, and at the end, screaming, he understood the runes and how to use them. At that point, he fell off of the tree. I'm just giggling. <laughs> Interesting facts. He rides an eight-legged horse named Slipnir, and his symbols are ravens, wolves, spears, and runes. Cool. Yeah. So you want to do scrying? Well, sure. I seem to have done the research for it, so why the heck not? <laughs> <laughs> Unless you want to hear something coming out of my ass, which would be really not fun. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> or am I? Okay, scrying. Okay, scrying. And there are going to be a lot of words in here that I'm probably going to mispronounce. I'm apologizing in advance. Scrying, also known as seeing or peeping. In some cases, it's called Latinizations or Hellenizations. According to Wikipedia's definition, it is the practice of looking into a suitable medium in order to discover important messages or visions. This was done for the purpose of discovering prophecies or inspiration, but has morphed over time into divination and fortune-telling. There are various mediums used for scrying, but differ from augury, which depends more on natural events such as flights of birds, and is done in a more ritual form of practice. It also differs from the divination of dreams known as oneromancy, oneromancy? 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 Okay, I'll go with that. And clairvoyancy, which doesn't require a medium in which to divine from. Scrying over the ages has been given many arbitrary titles when using different mediums. The act of gazing into crystals, think of crystal balls for example, has many different names such as crystallomancy, ketoptromancy, and spheromancy. Breaking it down with this specific example is that of catoptromancy, which is gazing into reflective objects such as mirrors, not into crystals. Some other forms have been hydromancy or lecanomancy. Lecanomancy. I'll go with that. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> gazing into water, anthropomancy, staring into hot coals, and terrifimi, gazing into smoke. Other tools used may be stones glass and the back of the eyelids, reflective black surfaces, and fire. Scrying, in effect, is a matter of allowing oneself to gaze into a medium of choice to open up the mind to receiving messages. Those messages, some say, are from the brain's subconscious, others say from the gods and beyond, yet others still may say from the devil or evil spirits. Mm. Folklore. One common thread in superstition is that the gazing into mirrors in a darkened room. Frequently on Halloween, young women would look into a mirror to see if they could catch a vision of their future husband. Or, if they saw a skull, it would be the foretelling that they would die before ever marrying. Then there's the Bloody Mary Dare, in which if you repeat her name several times, and there is a debate about how many times, you would receive telling of your future. Now later, this became transmuted into a horror story warning ill would befall you should you take the dare. Yep, I always knew it as if you say her name three times into a mirror in a dark room, she would come to get you. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of what I've heard. I don't watch a lot of horror films, but that's kind of what I've heard. And 
I don't know when that started, and I don't know why three was the important number, but yeah, I heard yeah. that too. Okay, let's not forget the story about Snow White and the evil queen who used the mirror to look for affirmations of her beauty. Or in The Wizard of Oz, when the evil witch uses it to follow Dorothy's whereabouts. Not to mention in Shakespeare's writings, Harry Potter, and other media. The Hebrew Bible of the book of Genesis briefly mentions scrying in chapter 44, referring to a story where a silver chalice was used for divination. However, there is nothing that supports that such a cup actually was used for this purpose. In ancient Persia, the Shahnameh, an epic work from the 10th century, offers insight to the cup of Jamijam by which the mythological kings of Persia would watch over the seven layers of the universe by scrying into the cup. Hmm. Nostradamus used a bowl of water in order to read the meanings of movement and reflections in the water. The Latter-day Saints. In the 1820s, Joseph Smith had a set of special spectacles made deemed as seer stones. These were named by him as Urim and Thummim, which were the stones within the spectacles. He claimed that through these he received information on how to translate the golden plates, which are said to be the source of the Book of Mormon. And that's just a very quick synopsis of these stones that are really rich with history. In the Bible, there's, I can't remember if it's Amim and Thummim or Urim and Thummim, but they were stones used by the priests to do divination. And they were like one of the few or if any things that they were allowed to use divination with in that particular religion. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, I had skimmed over a few things like that. There was just so much information on it. It's like it could be its own topic. Yeah, yeah. So Christians outlawed scrying back in the medieval times. Fifth century AD was when it was widespread. In Victorian times, it and palmistry were popular. This may be where the notion of crystal ball misting up from the inside first came about. Overall, there are two reoccurring themes. Pretty much all of them contend that scrying can reveal past and future events, emphasizing more on the future predictions. Many of the methods for scrying involve some kind of reflection. Exceptions to this are cloud gazing, flame, smoke, burning coals, and tea leaf reading, to name a few. Now, I personally don't see cow, I'm sorry, cow gazing, cloud gazing and tea leaf reading as, I see them as separate forms of divination. I don't see them as part of scrying, but my research pretty much lumped them in together. Interesting, because I wouldn't see cloud gazing or tea leaf reading in scrying either. Or cow gazing for that matter. Or cow gazing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, cow gazing could be interesting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you never know. All right, the doing. You will find that people have different views as to how to accomplish divining via scrying. I'd say a commonality is that it's a sort of meditation or hypnotic state. It's a way of accessing that which you otherwise would not be able to attain due to outside distracting forces. It brings in focus and a stillness of mind which I believe opens pathways to the divine. Whether or not it's truly spirits or subconscious messages feels really irrelevant to me. Either way, you are receiving input that you might not have otherwise accessed. Allowing your mind to visualize the abstract can be a very helpful tool once translated. 
The best way to scry is to allow any images to come to you once you're in a trance-like state, and be sure to write everything down when you've finished. Start by finding a quiet, dark setting, preferably at night, and cleanse the space. Decide on your method. I would recommend casting a circle for protection against any unwanted entities that might wish to come through while you are in this vulnerable state. Call upon your ancestors, guides, or well-intentioned spirits to be with you. Perhaps burn some incense. I don't recommend music as it can be distracting or subtly influence what you see. Sit with your medium and try to let your eyes blur and blink as little as possible. Allow images to come through without assessing them, disregarding them, or judging them. Don't try to force the images to come. Enjoy the peace and relax. Once you feel you have received all that may come through, thank the spirits or guides and journal all that you have learned, at which point you can now work on making sense of what you have. Hmm. Ta-da! I'm done. Got it. <laughs> I did it. I didn't you did it. totally massacre too much. I think you did an excellent job. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for your help, too. You're All welcome. right, let's move on. I'm just going to race right into runes. Yes. Runes, as we know them today, have a long history. Loon loons? <laughs> awesome. Yep. Loons. The bird is totally a letter and an ideograph. <laughs> That's right. Runes are both a letter and an ideograph, which is a symbol that has specific meaning. The first known runic inscription was from around 150 AD. This was done in the Elder Futhark script. The word Futhark came from the first six sounds or letters of the runic script. There have been several versions of the runes, but three of the most well-known are the Elder Futhark, which was used around 150 to 800 AD, the Anglo-Saxon Futhark from about 400 to 1100 AD, and the younger Futhark, from 800 to 1100 AD. Runes could have come from a number of sources. Most likely, though, is Etruscan or Old Latin. Scandinavians had their own ideas of how runes came to be, as I explained in Odin's story, and when he got those runes, he shared them with humans. The runes were in use by Germanic peoples from about the 1st or 2nd century AD. The Elder Futhark had all of its components, like the P-Rune, and its order by early 5th century. Now, you'll notice that the runes are angular and don't include any horizontal lines. That's because a lot of writing was done on wood or stone. And writing on wood, if you wrote with the grain, not only is it harder to see, but it also might split the wood. Those elements are also included in other contemporary alphabets of the time. There seems to be more evidence of runes being of magical use than divinatory use early on, and of use as communication earlier than that. For magical purposes of the runes, there were rune masters. They studied and understood the meanings of each symbol as well as the reading of them. Things like writing protection or victory for the user on a sword or same for a shield. Talismans as well might be made from runes carved on something like bone and worn. There was a story I read about a rune master who was inexperienced and wrote an, an inscription on bone, and it apparently made the, in the story, it made the lady sick, and so she had to find another rune master who was more experienced, and he fixed it, and she was fine. Hmm. Interesting. But yeah, 
it was supposed to be like for luck or something and it was not lucky at first apparently mm. <laughs> mm -hmm. rune stones are stones that have runic writing on them usually to memorialize dead men though some women have been memorialized this way too Often there were thaumaturgical formulas or spells to ease the dead person's journey to the next world. There was also a practical purpose, that of listing what the dead owned and who inherited what. Most runestones are found in Sweden, but you can find others around Northern Europe. The practice of raising runestones even survived the advent of Christianity up until the 17th century when the use of runes was forbidden in an attempt to dampen out pagan belief and thought. Well, we're still here and not going anywhere anytime soon. That's right. Okay, on to modern runes and interpretations. You got this. All right. So first one, fehu or cattle is wealth and luck. Uruz or aurochs, strength of will and health. Thurisaz or giant, danger and suffering. Ansus, or an Acer god, prosperity, vitality. Rido, or journey on horseback, movement, work, and growth. Kaunan, or ulcer, mortality and pain. Gebo, or gift, generosity, partnership. Wunjo, or joy, joy and ecstasy. Haglaz, or hail, destruction and chaos. Nodis, or need, Need, unfulfilled desire. Isaz, or ice. Frustration, delay. Jera, or year. Harvest and reward. Iwas, or you. Strength and stability. Perthro, or destiny. Fate and mysteries. Algiz, or elk. Protection from enemies. Defense of that which one loves. Sawillow, or sun. Success and solace. Tiwaz, as in the god Tiwaz, victory and honor. Birkenan, or birch, fertility, growth, and sustenance. Ewaz, or horse, trust, faith, companionship. Manaz, or man, augmentation, support. Laguz, lake, formlessness, chaos, potentiality, the unknown. Ingwaz, as in the god Ingwaz, fertilization, beginning of something, the actual inaction of potential. Othalan, or inheritance. Inheritance, tradition, nobility. Dagaz, or day, hope and happiness. That was quite the list, but that's awesome. I look forward to looking back on that. Yeah. Thank, Thank you. you. <laughs> Jinx. Mm. <laughs> okay, I have an activity today, and it is for scrying. What you'll need is a clear bowl, a cup of water, oil, vegetable oil maybe, one teaspoon, any type of essential oil, a few drops, three to five at tops, blue food coloring, which would be one to two drops, maybe three, a mirror, a handheld that can be placed flat and have a bowl on top of it will work as well, candle or candles, keep something nearby to put out an unwanted flame. The bowl of water with the oil in it will not do. Journal and writing utensil. This is super simple. You can choose to do freeform divination, which is to say, just let whatever images come to you come freely and get whatever messages want to appear, let them appear. And this could be confusing and overwhelming though. So there's another way. 
You can choose a question or set an intention as to what you would like more information about. Setting an intention might look like this. Show me how to clear any negative energies around me at work. Doing a question might be, are there any negative energies around me at work? A fine line there. Find a quiet, dimly lit place to do this. A dark room with only candlelight is best. Place your candle or candles appropriately to give you some light if you need or are choosing to use candlelight. Put your bowl with water on top of the mirror and the oils in the center of the circle. Sweep the circle to get rid of any negative energy. Cast a circle of protection. Invite in your ancestors, ancient ones, and spirit guides. Then sit in front of the bowl of water and add the oils and then the food coloring while focusing on your subject. Sit quietly focusing only on the contents of the bowl. Wait for images to reveal themselves. After a while, if you have found all of what you can see, but don't feel it's complete, feel free to stir the bowl once and continue trying to scry. When you finish with the imagery, be sure to journal all that you've seen. Finally, thank all of the energies that have helped you and open the circle. You are now done. And you can also look for or listen to season one, episode six, for another scrying activity that we did. Mm-hmm. Okay. Sylvia? Today we decided not to pull a tarot card and instead pull a rune. And I'm doing it. <laughs> <laughs> Today I pulled Uruz or the Aurochs. An Aurochs was a huge ox-like animal that ranged through Europe, Asia, and North Africa. It was known for its strength and ferocity. As a rune, this talks of those qualities as well as perseverance, health, and courage. This rune advises that hard work and strength of will will bring your rewards. Bringing that into the sphere of our podcast, divination, learning about yourself and the world around you takes courage, hard work, and determination. The return you get is knowledge that is not clouded by denial and the power to act on that knowledge. Like Odin, sometimes you must have courage and endurance to learn or get what you need. That's really cool. I like that. Thank you. I'm even going to reread over it when we're done. <laughs> <laughs> Please rate us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever else you've found us. I'm Tatiana saying ta-ta for now. And I'm Sylvia saying so long and thank you for writing with us. This has been Powered, Powered by, by Magic. Magic. Thank you, everyone. Thanks Thank for putting you. up with us. Have a good one. Bye. Bye.